Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we're speaking with Matt Ho. In 2009, Matthew Ho resigned in protest from his post in Afghanistan with the State Department over the U.S. escalation of the war. Prior to his assignment in Afghanistan, Matt had taken part in the U.S. occupation of Iraq. Since his resignation, he has been a peace activist and a truth teller, and in 2010 was named the Ridenauer Prize recipient for truth telling, and in 2021 was awarded the Defender of Liberty by the Committee for the Republic. Matthew is a member of the board of directors of the Institute for Public Accuracy and an advisory board member for the Committee to Defend Julian Assange and Civil Liberties for Exposed Facts. North Carolina Committee to Investigate Torture, the Resistance Center for Peace and Justice, Veterans for Peace, and World Beyond War. He is also a candidate for U.S. Senate from North Carolina. Matt Ho, welcome back to Talk World Radio. Hey, David. It's good to see you. It's great to see you. I'm glad you're keeping busy and doing what you're doing. Uh, even if I would have said it was a somewhat uh, quixotic uh, <laughs> adventure to uh, act as if we had legitimate elections in this country. Um, <laughs> why? For, first of all, why why do that? Uh, you know, if, if where I come to it is that uh, if you believe uh, that we have this corrupt and undemocratic and harmful political system, this two-party system, uh, then you have to act to fix it. And the Green Party asked me to run and uh, feeling that way, you know, of course, let me try and do my part to uh, put pressure uh, on the system to reform it or to break it or to rebuild it or to, you know, however you want to describe that process. But yeah, I, I just thought it, it was the absolute right thing to do in the sense of trying to build a multi-party democracy, trying to get away from what we are uh, stuck in this deadly status quo. Uh, and so, yeah, here, here we are running this uh, race for U.S. Senate in North Carolina and facing all those undemocratic and corrupt hurdles that uh, you were implying. By by reform it, do you mean changing the laws and the rules and fixing some of those hurdles? And by break it, do you mean being the spoiler in the two-party system and electing the slightly more out, outrageously awful of the two choices? Or what do you, what do you mean? Yeah, well, I, I, I would use disruptor rather than spoiler. Uh, so, you know, kind of take it uh, uh, reverse from how you phrased it with, um, you know, you enter into these races uh, and uh, whatever political persuasion is being represented by multiple candidates, the system uh, as it is, is set up for two parties. Uh, you run multiple candidates in those races. It causes severe stress. It causes disruption. It causes the elections not to go the way that both parties expect them to go. Remember, we have a political system in this country that uh, 70% of races in the United States across the country are unopposed. 70% are unopposed. 90 some odd percent are uh, not competitive, but 70% are unopposed. So the idea that it's just not even about a two-party system for the majority of the country, it's a one-party system. Uh, so, and the system is set up to accommodate it and that's how it's comfortable and that's why it works this way. 
So run multiple candidates, uh, you know, have uh, 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 that pressure put on the system. That's going to cause a disruption that the uh, will have to be addressed. Otherwise, it will break down. Otherwise, in these safe seats for Democrats or in these safe seats for Republicans, the victories will not come for them. And so this is this is just not talking about running in North Carolina for U.S. Senate, but this is something I believe has to be done across the country uh, on uh, from all varieties of political uh, flavor, whether they be leftist, whether they be uh, conservative or libertarian, whether they be through parties, whether they be independent, but putting that pressure to, you know, bog down, disrupt, break the system so that the reforms will come. Um, as a, as a necessary uh, uh, result of that, primarily ranked choice voting and proportional representation. Uh, and a lot of people try this in a slightly different way. That's just about as uphill of a struggle and uh, and unfair of a playing field. Uh, <laughs> and that is to to primary the party that has been given uh, the the unopposed. Uh, seat in these gerrymandered districts. Uh, and a lot of people try running for the House before they try running for the Senate. Um, why why pick this uh, angle? Yeah, I, I think with the primaries, as we've seen, the primaries are, uh, are, are rigged. Uh, we've seen that uh, over and over again. Uh, the primary process is not a very democratic one, um, and it is completely controlled by money. Um, I mean, certainly what was uh, exposed in 2016 and then again what happened with Bernie Sanders in 2020. But, you know, I mean, when Donna Brazil was head of the Democratic National Committee, the DNC, uh, you know, she's on video saying the process is rigged, uh, you know, and, and there were other testaments to that. And it's obvious to anyone who, who observes the primaries are uh, not a democratic process, but are more or less to ensure that those who the leadership of the Democratic or Republican parties want to be their candidates become their candidates. Um, I mean, Trump certainly did a number on that with the Republicans, but, you know, for, I think for, for mo in many ways, uh, for the Democrats, that holds true. Um, you know, running for U.S. Senate, as opposed to like, yes, yeah, starting off at the House or whatever, uh, one of the things that was happening here in North Carolina is that the Green Party here needed to have ballot access, statewide ballot access. And so the idea of running a statewide campaign, we believed and correctly, uh, would help with that type of ballot access. It would be a way to, to help raise the money uh, to, to conduct a ballot access campaign. It would be a way to get people throughout the state excited about the prospects of ballot access for the Green Party, because here's somebody you could vote for. Um, and we also saw that this U.S. Senate race here, a close race, while a third party independent or grassroots campaign or candidate is going to have a real impact on that race. While if I have run here in my district in North Carolina, uh, the second district uh, for the U.S. House, uh, it's a completely gerrymandered district. And so the attention that will come to a candidate running against, say, Representative Deborah Ross here, who's going to get 65% of the vote because that's the way that the, the district is set up, probably wouldn't have gotten the attention that you're going to get in a race where you have uh, a Republican and a Democrat in what are, you know, possibly a toss up race. So this that attention we felt would be helpful, again, for the ballot access, but then also too to make sure our issues are being addressed. 
right? I mean, as well as the idea that if you're going to have a U.S. Senate race and there's no one in that race running on uh, a single payer health care, on affordable housing, on you know uh, just living wages, on uh, education for all, student debt cancellation, ending the war on drugs, ending the wars overseas, all these life and death issues. If you're not, I mean, where there should be a candidate advocating for those things on the ballot for U.S. Senate in November. And so those are some of the reasons why I chose to run a U.S. Senate race as opposed to another race here in North Carolina. And you seem to have disrupted things already, uh, maybe more than most, uh, and ballot access has become a real issue, right? You've, you've run into some attempts, in fact, by maybe a, a misnamed party uh, to, keep, <laughs> to keep you off the ballots. Right. Uh, so... So we had to get to get onto the ballot in North Carolina as a recognized political party. We had to collect uh, 13,865 verified signatures. We collected more than 22,500 signatures. Of that number, uh, almost 16,000 were validated by the county boards of elections. The county boards of elections are the ones who look at the signatures and validate and verify them. Um, just so people understand who aren't familiar with petitioning, that's about right in the sense of if you look at petition efforts across the country, whether they be uh, to get onto the ballot, to have ballot referendums, you have about a, a 70, 75 percent success rate in terms of your petitions, your petition collection, your signature collection. Every four signatures you collect, three count, one, one gets thrown out for a variety of reasons almost always innocuous, almost always benign. The person wrote the wrong address. They thought they were uh, registered. They were not, et cetera. So we were right in that band. We met all the deadlines. We did everything procedurally correct. We presented to the state board of elections to be certified as a political party. And they pointed out some of these invalidated signatures. So signatures that were never going to count towards our total. They pointed at them and said, this looks suspicious. They never really said what was suspicious about it, but they said, this looks suspicious. And because these are suspicious, that means there could be more signatures that are suspicious. So we have to further investigate. But what happens, we ran into the deadline of July 1st, because July 1st deadline to be certified to be put on the ballot. So they said, well, because tomorrow, because they were holding this hearing the day before the deadline, which shows their lack of good faith in all this, because even if they had certified us, we would have had to hold a nominating convention, have our people register as Green Party members, the candidates would have filed, etc. So it'd been very difficult to do that in less than 24 hours. But so it just kind of shows that they were acting in bad faith by the way they just managed everything. But um, so they don't certify us because there are these there could be uh, fraud. We're not going to tell you what it is. We're not going to show you what it is. We're not going to give you a chance to defend yourself, but there could be fraud. We need more time to investigate, but since tomorrow is the deadline, we're not going to certify you because we don't have time to investigate. So we filed a lawsuit in federal court um, and challenging that. And due to that lawsuit, the state board of elections held another hearing on August 1st, and they unanimously certified us because after more than two months of investigating us and after more than two months of saying that there was a universe of fraud, there were thousands and thousands of blatant forgeries. Uh, this is what the spokesperson from the State Board of Elections was saying. Um, after more than two months of investigating us, an unprecedented investigation by State Board of Elections never been done before. Uh, after having the counties go back and look at our 22,500 signatures again, they found nothing. And they were forced to certify us unanimously along both party lines. 
I uh, believe that was because of our lawsuit as well as because of all the media attention we were getting on us because it was clearly such an attempt just to keep us off the ballot because it had been a partisan the original decision not to certify us was partisan. So the Board of Elections in North Carolina is made up of five members, three Democrats, two Republicans. And so when they didn't certify us, they voted straight along party lines, Democrats versus Republicans, Democrats against us, Republicans for. And you know, be clear that I know if we were a conservative uh, campaign, a conservative party, it would have been the opposite. There were Democrats would have voted for us, Republicans against us. At the same time, all this is happening. Can, What's that? Can I just ask about this signature yeah. gathering? Uh, when, when you gather signatures and you suspect that a signature is no good, you're still required to turn it in, right? You right. aren't allowed to scratch it out. You can tell them, we think this one's no good and turn it in, but you're required to give it to them, right? Right. And and, and there's only so much you can do in terms of, of checking this before you turn it in. And we did our due diligence. We did our best. All our people were trained. Um you know, uh, but all the information we have access to is the public information. So all you can do is check to see a person's name, their address, and um, that's really it. Uh, and what we're collecting when we do the petitions are name, address, birth date, and signature. And there's no way for us to check their birth date. There's no way for us to check their signature. So really, there's there's nothing we can do. Um, and there's no requirement for us to do that either, just to say that. But also, too, we, we, we did our best. We, we, we went through the sheets. We tried to clean them up to make things sure were legible. Our people were trained. They knew the right questions to ask. You know, we, 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 we tried to do this with the most integrity as we could. And we did. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that happens is that so in parallel to this es- issue with the state board of elections, uh, we've got the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee comes down here from Washington, D.C. almost right away, almost as soon as we turn in our petition sheets, the DSCC and the Mark Elias Law Group uh, are down here uh, trying to get us kicked off or prevent us from being put on. Now they're trying to get us kicked off. Now that we're on, you know, now they're doing that. So, but what they do is they, they, they get these petition records. They somehow match up names with phone numbers and they start calling people and they start texting people. And then they eventually start showing up at people's homes, trying to get people to remove their names from the signature sheets using political arguments, using the, you know, uh, Greens help Republicans. Abortion is in the balance. Please don't be the one who, you know, allows a Green Party candidate to cause us to lose abortion, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Those types of political arguments using public records, which is, of course, uh, uh, something you're not allowed to do. But what they do, it's really egregious besides this harassment, this shaming, this bullying is and, they, and besides they did nothing on abortion for decades. And it's well, gone that's, that's, that's <laughs> exactly too. You know, and they're saying to people in their messages, they're, they're telling people that uh, we committed fraud. They're saying all these things that are not true as well. Um, it's smearing us. It, but then what they're also saying is that they're, when they're calling and texting people, they're saying that they are representing the Green Party. Uh, we have this on audio, uh, that they are, you know, uh, calling people, asking them to take their names off the petition as Green Party representatives. So clearly lying about who they are. And when they're showing up at people's homes, they are saying they're with the State Board of Elections or with the Secretary of State's office in order, again, to try and get people to remove their names from petitions. They were massively unsuccessful in that. They only had a handful of people, I think, out of Thousands of thousands of co- they contacted only about a hundred some odd actually agreed to have their names removed, which is just for their effort is really nothing. Um, 
you know, their arguments fell flat as well as their reception. So you can't even say if any of those should count as being removed because they were being, they were lying. They were being deceptive. They were misleading people deliberately in order to do this. So, you know, that's in parallel uh, to what we're doing with the state board of elections. So we're really fighting both the state and the Democratic Party. What's since happened is that uh, because we have missed that July 1st deadline, so the State Board of Elections certifies us, but because we have missed that July 1st deadline, the federal judge in our court, in our case, ruled uh, on Friday, uh, August uh, August 5th, I guess, that um, we would be put on the ballot, that he would move the deadline, and that's what he did. So myself and Michael Trudeau, who's running for state Senate, uh, are now on the ballot. The Democratic Party, uh, DSCC, uh, so uh, Washington, D.C. Democrats uh, have immediately appealed that. Uh, so we'll have to go to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals if that appeal is accepted to fight that. As well, then the North, North Carolina Democratic Party has filed a lawsuit in state court challenging a number of things, including jurisdiction, in an effort to get us off the ballot. The thing that's hanging out here, the big thing, is the fact that August 12th is the deadline for printing ballots. And that's always, I think, been the strategy and behind the, the part of the Democratic Party and the State Board of Elections is delay this enough so that we get to the ballot printing so that it's just overcome by events that, sorry, hasn't been decided yet. This has not been adjudicated. No decisions have been made. There's still these two court cases going on, et cetera. Uh, and we have to print the ballots. So uh, I, I, that's the decision that's, yeah. is in your favor and they're appealing. The outcome. Correct. Correct. The, the, the appeal could stay uh, the district court judge's decision or it could vacate it. And if they can do it that quickly in you know a matter of a week, I don't know if that's possible. That's what they would do. But they could even just stay it where the, a lot of different things could happen and no one's really certain what would happen. And this is a big this is a big ballot access case. This is a big big deal, not just for North Carolina, but for uh, states across the country, because this really, uh, you know, what we were dealing with here was uh, an effort by uh, the political party in power that controls the state board of elections to just on their whim say, we're not going to allow you on the ballot. We're not going to show you the evidence. We're not going to provide you with due, uh, with due process. And we're certainly not going to give you a legal justification for why we kept you off the ballot. Uh, you know, and I think what happens is the fact that we're in federal court coming up, you know, or at this point, it was the state board of elections was going to get shown up in federal court as being the corrupt entity that it is. And, um, you know, one of the things, too, is that so after, you know, it, it's frustrating because you get smeared. The local media carry these stories where they're covering it and they're just repeating the allegations. And then all of a sudden the allegations are shown to be completely uh, substance, you know, they're, they're substance free. They're, 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 they're without merit, uh, you know, not just by the state board and the county board of elections work, but also by the work of the federal court. The federal judge in his uh, uh, decision that he put out last week, you know, makes it clear that there never, there's no evidence that there ever was or has been organized fraud by the Green Party. So, I mean, we've had all, we've been vindicated a number of ways, cleared a number of ways, but there's still that you know, because this is what they do. They put it out there. And so there's still that cloud that hangs over. So all you guys got on the ballot because of fraud, which is, again, completely untrue. And how does it come? We're speaking with Matt Ho, who's running for U.S. Senate in North Carolina. Matt, how does it compare with their coverage of apparently quite established uh, fraud by the Democratic Party uh, pretending to be other entities uh, going to people's doors and calling people on the phone? 
Yeah, we, two two things on that. Frustrated because I've not seen the State Board of Elections act upon that because that that is actual fraud and they've been provided with audio and video of them doing it. And we have depositions or not depositions, but we have affidavits attesting to that. And so far, as far as I've seen, there's been no movement on behalf of the State Board of Elections to do something about it. In fact, the executive director of the State Board of Elections uh, responded to a, a reporter's question about that as just, well, they're simply canvassing. Uh, you know, they're committing fraud as they canvassed. And they were also defaming uh, us, uh, you know, in a manner that was blatantly untrue. Um, the uh, uh, the other aspect then is uh, whether or not, you know, how it will be covered by the press going forward. Uh, they they the press enjoyed because we had the audio and video, they enjoyed showing that. Um, but now it's getting to the point where it, where we see with the coverage that's getting left out. It's just being summed up as the Democrats tried to have us removed from the ballot or that they tried to get people to retract their signature petitions and they leave out the fraud that was being done, the deception, the lies. Uh, yeah. And so it is frustrating um, because it, it, this is this is how – but this again, what, what it does though, David, is it vindicates what we're doing. It validates what we're trying to do here. You know, we're trying to create a multiplier democracy. We're saying that the two-party system is corrupt. It's undemocratic. It's harmful. And they're proving our point. And so I, I think most people see through the, protest, the protests of the Democratic Party, the state board of elections, that they weren't doing anything wrong. They know they were doing wrong. The vast majority of people are disgusted with both parties. And so just this continues just to add to our arguments. And, uh, you know, it also, too, it, it provides us with a degree of of of, of attention that we might not have had otherwise uh, this summer, uh, except for uh, this legal drama, right? These multiple court cases, this, the, the, yeah. the, 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 right? The spectacle, the theater of the Democrats running around and, and harassing people and lying about who they were, you know? And so I, I think we had some attention that we probably wouldn't have had otherwise. It's obviously it would be a dangerous precedent for them to succeed in keeping someone off the ballot. Uh, I think it might be an even more dangerous precedent for them to be given the the go ahead on committing fraud as long as they're canvassing for votes. I mean, now you get Democrats out knocking on doors as Republicans claiming to be for right. all sorts of hideous things and Republicans doing the opposite, pretending to be Democrats. And that's OK because they're canvassing. I mean, this seems like a very bad precedent to me. Um, yeah. But but why should there have to be a scandal of another party trying to keep you off the ballot in order to get attention when you're a candidate for public office with thousands of signatures to put you on the ballot? That ought to qualify you uh, for media coverage, not just for being on the ballot. Uh, and right. so, you know, the ballot is one hurdle. But there's also the question of the media. There's the question of the debates. And there's the question of the money, because as far as I know, whoever spends more money on truly stupid television ads wins each election. So where are you on on each of those other hurdles? Yeah. So, you know, with the media, to be fair, we have gotten really re some really pretty good local media coverage. We have. They've, they've been interested whether that keeps up uh, as we are now a, a campaign on the ballot that doesn't have, uh, again, the circus of what we went through the last couple months, uh, the novelty of it. Um, but, you know, whether whether they, they continue to show up and report on us is, is to be seen. I, I hope certainly hope to do, because, again, we're offering uh, uh, 
policies and, and, and we're, we're speaking on issues and we're representing people who otherwise are not being represented. We are a clear alternative to the Democrat, Republican and libertarians in this race. And so what we speak about or are, 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 are we talk about health care, we talk about housing are the things that are uh, uh, really affecting North Carolina voters. So if they're not covering us, it's just not about doing a disservice to a, a party that's on the ballot. It's about doing a service to voters in North Carolina. Um, so we're going to keep pushing the media. We're going to, we're going to, you know, do everything we can. But as we often see, um, the money is what takes over and the money is what allows for the TV ads, but it also allows for, uh, third party and independent candidates to be declared non-viable, right? Because you don't raise enough money. So you're not viable, which means we're not going to cover you. We're not going to give you the, the, the column space. We're not going to give you the time on television. We're not going to talk to you on the radio, et cetera. You know, so that, that's a concern is that will be the excuse that will be used. I mean, back in the spring, it was difficult to talk to them because we weren't on the ballot. You know, and so now will the excuse be that we're not going to talk to you because you're not viable because you're not raising tens of millions of dollars, actually hundreds of millions of dollars. The, the money is lost for our TV ads. Yeah. 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 I mean, exactly. The, the, the. In, in 2020, the U.S. Senate, Senate campaign in North Carolina was $300 million, um, you know, and most of that, uh, majority of that money was the outside money, the dark money, the super PAC money, the Citizens United money. And that money is beginning to pour in more and more. And it is. Yeah. We raise in a month what the Democrat and Republican raise in a matter of hours. Uh, so yeah. how do you compete against that? And you can't compete against that. And, and what we found, you know, David, when we were out there petitioning in the spring was, again, we got more than 22,500 signatures. We talked to tens of thousands of people was an enthusiasm for something different, enthusiasm for uh, uh, change, for other options, for for a choice other than the existing status quo. And uh, that enthusiasm can be felt everywhere, I think. That desire, that need is probably the better word for it. And so, you know, how do we turn that into something that puts out votes, uh, puts votes in the ballot box in November? Because that's the biggest hurdle is that when you look at North Carolina, it's 7.3 million registered voters. How do you best get in front of each of those voters? And, you know, if you have hundreds of millions of dollars, well, that's easy. You're on television. You've got YouTube ads. You do all those kinds of things. You don't have that money, you know. And so we, we have to do a variety of different things that lets us get out there and talk to people. Uh, yeah. And so we have to replicate a lot of what we did in the spring in terms of just being present and meeting as many people personally as we can and doing what we can kind of, uh, uh, you know, in a true grassroots manner to, to run this campaign. Matt, with under two minutes left, uh, what is it? How are you dealing with running as someone who's advocated for peace and diplomacy when not only is the president a Democrat and, and you should be anti war when the president is a Republican, but there's a war? Yeah. It's not the worst war in the world, but it's a war that's in the news. Uh, yeah. And when a war is in the news, you have to be pro war. How are you dealing with that issue? Well, I mean, I, I imagine it's the same as, as, as you would be dealing with it. You know, I mean, like you, you have your you have your principles, you have your values, you know, the reality of war. And so regardless of what the circumstances are or what the, the best, the better politics would be, uh, the better optics would be, uh, you stick with what you know to be true. And so, yeah, I am an anti-war candidate and will always be, a, a, you know, a, a one. It's interesting because the libertarian in this race, a guy named Shannon Bray, he's also a combat veteran. 
And so of the four people in the race, the Green, the Democrat, the Republican, and the Libertarian, the two that are anti-war are the two combat veterans. And of course, a Democrat and Republican are both pro-war, you know, one of the things that unites both of those parties. Indeed, it does. Uh, We've been speaking with Matt Ho, uh, a veteran and an all-around great guy and a candidate for U.S. Senate from North Carolina. Matt, with just a few seconds left, where can people uh, keep track and follow up and get in touch with you? Right. Please go to MatthewHoForSenate.org. Uh, last name is spelled H-O-H. And you can go there. You can sign up to volunteer. You can donate. Of course, we need donations. We're in these two big legal fights as well as trying to run a campaign so people can help us. Really appreciate it. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Matthew P. Ho, P. S. and Patrick. Wonderful. Uh, Matt Ho, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk World Radio. Thank you, David. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.